welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, that uh, regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan. I'm joined by my daughter, Bethany, and we are here once again with our study of the book by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. This is episode 19, episode 19, and we're going to be covering book three, chapter eight, The Great Sin. This is recorded on Sunday, August 4th, 2019. Bethany, we're in our nice, cool basement mm-hmm. studio here after spending about three hours walking the hot streets of Jasper <laughs> in the Strassenfest parade. Mm, not um, to mention waiting for our turn. And waiting which, for our turn. Which was maybe yeah. warmer than the actual walk. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's nice to be down here in the... Uh, uh, cool basement and especially to uh, uh, you know recall that uh, if if hell is anything like that asphalt I don't want to go there <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say yeah kind of but well let's okay. just but it was a lot of fun that's true we, we had, had a great a time fun. we got to see all the people of our community mm-hmm. lined along the streets they got to see us we gave out candy and mm-hmm. we hung out with some great Shiloh folks so it's a good thing if you are not from the Shiloh area uh, that is the Jasper area where Shiloh is located, and you've never been to the Strassenfest, well, it's a lot of fun. Jasper is a town with a strong, uh, rich uh, German heritage, and they celebrate that every year around this time, and as you drive around town, you'll see the German flags and bunting over everywhere, and lots of uh, German language uh, signage and stuff, and it's all just a way to celebrate their their history of German uh ancestry and and the settlers who made this town and mm-hmm. and uh, so it's really and we do it by eating lots of maybe not great for you food yeah but delicious yeah. well isn't that like every other town festival you though? got it <laughs> you know one of the benefits of our ministry career is we've celebrated in a lot of towns but this is a good one mm-hmm. well anyway let's get right to work here this is uh book three chapter eight the great sin and and you know, C.S. Lewis has talked mostly about the uh, uh, Christian morality, you know, in, in mm-hmm. different ways. So, if, I mean, if Christian morality differs most sharply from other moralities, it has to be on this one particular vice, which is what we're going to talk about, because it's the one that no one can escape. Mm-hmm. And most people, apart from Christians, don't necessarily see it as a like fundamental problem with themselves with themselves right and i think it's something that's and and lewis mentions this but it's something that's really identifiable you identify it really easily in other people that's right yeah it's easy to see other people's pride but not so much in ourselves oops i gave it away gave it away well darn it uh that's right the problem is pride or self-conceit and According to Christian teachers, what are some of the characteristics of pride that are different from other vices? Well, I think, like, one of the things he points out, and it kind of takes me back to our Revelation study a little bit, is that pride is kind of this, it's the essential ingredient that made Satan, Satan. Right. Um it's 
and Lewis describes it as like the anti-God state of mind mm-hmm. because it's putting yourself higher. Um, and we talked a lot of, a little bit about that when we were doing a revelation study, um, just talking about how it's kind of wild to think that the devil was like, you know, I think I can do this God thing better than God. Mm-hmm. And yet we do tend to do that too. You know, uh, so according to, to Lewis and, and he alludes to this more than comes right out and say, says mm-hmm. it, but, but this is where I realized that C.S. Lewis and I, we, we, you know, could have had great conversation about this stuff because I had arrived at this conclusion on my own and I don't think that's remarkable other than it just indicates that truth is truth. Mm-hmm. And when we all discover the same truth, that's because it's true. I Otherwise, guess, you know, we might diverge. You know, we, we well, but I mean, if we if if we were arriving at a similar conclusion about something that wasn't true, it wouldn't mm-hmm. take long to find people who didn't agree with us. But um, it is the utmost evil. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it is the very essence of sin. Um, pride is is essentially what you just described. It starts with Satan saying, "You know what? I'm Lucifer. Uh, I'm the bright morning star. I'm the cool, you know, super angel. Uh, I don't know why I'm second in charge because obviously I, you know, do this even better. You know that. Uh, yeah, I feel like anytime you say, "I could do this better than God," you're probably in trouble. Yeah. Pretty much. And it says so much about the essential essence of God. Now, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but but in our Sunday services, we were talking a little bit about, you know, the different kinds of Gospels and the fact that the reign of God and the reign of Christ is, is, you know, essentially admitting that they are in charge of everything, that they're superior to everyone, uh, seen and unseen. And, And so Satan's vanity... Uh, Lucifer's vanity is that he actually looks down upon God because he thinks God has an inferior approach to, you know, the created order. Mm-hmm. And the thing that he fails to recognize that is absolutely remarkable to me is that Satan apparently doesn't understand that he is a created being and yeah. that God is the creator. Yeah, that's the part that I find really baffling, too. You know, like, it, it where do you be, think you came from, dude? It would be one thing to to compare yourself to other created beings, but to actually compare yourself to the creator... And and to say he made me, but I think he actually made me to be better than him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a profound pride, uh, and mm-hmm. and that makes everything that Satan does and every effect that Satan has on the created order make sense. And so he lures humans into giving over to that side of themselves, and so it's a constant struggle against sin, which is in all respects pride. Mm-hmm. Pride makes you do things that serve you because you think that, you know, you're entitled to that or something. And so the the sins that we all think of as sins like, you know, murder and crime and that sort of thing, that's someone acting entirely in their own interest at the expense of others. But there are many ways that are far less significant in their appearance on the outside where we're acting in our own self-interest at the expense expense of others and if nothing else at the expense of god's authority over your life that's sin well yeah lewis even points that out in the book he says like a lot of things that we would attribute to other vices 
usually end up coming back around to pride. So the more pride one had, the more one disliked pride in others. Mm -hmm. Now, what other point about pride causes this, and how does it influence other? How does it influence other vices such as greed? Well, yeah, he talks about how pride is competition is essential to pride because if you're not in competition with somebody else and trying to outdo them, then it kind of loses its. Mm-hmm. Ness. Um, and the, like that can cause other things like greed to, it's just because it becomes, it's not about like, I want to be this rich. It's about, I want to be richer than that person. Right. I want to be better looking than that person. And, and it's convicting because even if you don't think you do it, you do it. Sure. You look at somebody who's maybe not like, particularly well-dressed that day mm-hmm. and you go well at least i look better than them today well you, know, you may you'd make yourself feel better by putting other people down even if it's only in your own mind you know i i could say that that i have to guard against the temptation towards a sort of sanctimonious uh sort of pride where where you know i've watched other clergy people do certain things that i think are so counter to the very essence Mm -hmm. of what we're supposed to be as clergy and then in a way i'm taking pride in the fact that i'm more humble than they are or something which is ironic and it's pride you know that well that to simply say this isn't about me and to live as though it's not about me is in effect a, a dangerous edge you know where you're walking the edge of a line where where as soon as you take certain pride in that because you compare yourself to those others so, you know, to simply do it because you do it is one thing, but to do it because you're trying to do better than someone else, yeah, it's it's tricky. Well, and, like, I really have a problem with people who talk down to me mm-hmm. and, you know, people who just are passive-aggressive patron, like, the, mm-hmm. I, I really struggle, and I'm, and if you do that to me, I tend to shut down and just not talk back to you. Yeah. Like, I don't make eye contact with you. I am done with you because I'm afraid if I do talk to you, I'm going to blow up. And uh-huh. so I felt kind of convicted reading this because I was like, well, does that is it because I think I'm better than that person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is it just because I find that really just why do I find it insulting? I guess. Is it because I feel like if you're talking down to me, you think I'm dumb and I know I'm not. <laughs> and is that pride? Or is it just that I find that kind of language and talking well, I, just unpleasant. I really hope that I hope that Jack gives us a way out here <laughs> because because we all, you know, are going to struggle with this mm-hmm. at some level. But it it is really a matter of of I think where you aim your spirit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that might sound like a strange way to put it, but I don't know what else to say. I, I've been in conversation with some other men in the church lately and. You know, we were just talking about, you know, uh, I'm probably not the most, um, uh, you know, like religious pastor they've ever had. I, I'm not the most like, like formal or mm-hmm. liturgical or whatever. And I probably, you know, probably 
am a little too relaxed at times in in the performance of my duties but but at the same time i i don't claim to be anything other than a man on a journey with christ that has un i say unfortunately like that's a bad thing but i mean like that has placed me in the role of being their pastor but i'm still this guy walking my journey with christ who happens to be walking it in front of a lot of other people and i'm not unaware of that but i refuse to be so totally wrapped up in that that i forget to walk with christ Mm -hmm. instead of walking in front of other people you know Mm -hmm. and so what i was saying to these men and they agreed with me is is that you know god seems to like people who are aware that they're radically flawed because they have better they have a greater tendency to be dependent upon god and so where i'm going with that is is that if there's an answer to this problem of pride that we all struggle with is when someone condescends and talks down to you and it's insulting it's certainly okay to acknowledge that it hurts that it's a wounding to you to be talked to like that by someone when you start trying to get inside their head and figure out what their problem is and when you start making judgments about them then you're turning it into something else and and so you know one of my favorite uh, books of the last few years is Marshall Rosenberg's mm-hmm. Nonviolent Communication. And as, as kind of unusual as that title sounds, it's basically a way of trying to communicate how other people's words and deeds affect you mm-hmm. and what you need from them in order to avoid that pain. And there's a way you can do that that doesn't judge them or put them in a position of feeling threatened Mm -hmm. but also gives you a way of managing things that you're struggling against and and of course the ultimate thing that we have to keep in mind is is that we are redeemed from the inside out and so you know we're kind of cooking from the inside out you know and that means that we're not done yet Mm -hmm. you know we still got a lot of changing to do and yeah so, you know, just in case Jack doesn't come through, hopefully Pastor Dan came through a little bit there. So, all right. So so pride is the chief cause of misery in the world. Unlike other vices, which may bring people together, pride always means enmity between man and man and man and God. Mm-hmm. So how are pride and knowing God related? Wow, that was a loaded question. Yeah. Well, he says, if you're a proud person, you can't know God. Right. You can't really know God because a proud person always condescends, as yeah. like looks down on other people. And and I really like how he says it. He says, if you're looking down, you're probably not looking up, which is God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. So you can't know God because you're busy looking down on everyone else. You're not looking at, you're not concentrating on things above. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that sums it up, you know, really well. I mean, the proud person, uh, well, like uh, what was it, uh, um, Lenin or was it Marx? I can't remember. One of those two commies. <coughs> wow. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm 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 acting like someone my age. You Mark know. Marx would maybe be super offended that you just called him that because you know well, he was more of the Marxist. Yeah, he was a Marxist, and, and that's where that name came from. <laughs> all right, so so I just demonstrated that radically flawed human side of myself. <laughs> Um, I was really just trying to make a joke about how old I am. I'm a child of the Cold War. You know, I grew up. 
I grew up during the Cold War, and so you know we had all kinds of nicknames for the for the you Russian, just said the Red yeah. Threat, you know, the Red Menace. But anyway, we have uh, one of those two. I think it might have been Marx, but I'm not sure. Just called religion the opiate of the people. Mm. You know, I can't remember. And I don't remember which one of those two said it. It sounds more like something Marx would say than Lenin. Yeah. Um, you know, now I think John Lennon probably would have said that too, but that's another Lennon entirely. I, Move on. You know, <laughs> you know, imagine no religion. <laughs> you know, die young and your f- songs turn into an ode. So Lewis, Lewis asks the question that. If prideful people can't know God, then how come it seems like there's a lot of prideful people who are religious? Well, that's a very interesting question. It is. And based on my vast experience, (laughs) I would say that it's because an awful lot of people are religious, Mm -hmm. but they're not in love with Christ. Yeah, he calls it a phantom God. Yeah, they're and worshiping a phantom god. They are worship. They worship a religious system or a social system, mm-hmm. and and it really does come down to that. And it's funny because that was the essence of the sermon today, which which was to basically say you ever ha- either have a legalistic religion or you have a libertine religion. You know, but one one is makes you socially acceptable because you live according to the norms of your little society, which could be your church. Mm-hmm. And uh, people could say you're very holy and religious because you do all the things that they think make you look that way. And then the libertine is the one who basically says anything goes. And, mm-hmm. and, and once again, that's still looking for approval from people in your society. You know, it's still, it's still, about, a, it's, it's still about having uh, something other than God's authority over your life, you know. So, so yeah, I, that's... Well, and he even says... And again, kind of convicting for even people who don't feel like they're just religious. Right. He says, you know, they might say that they're nothing in the eyes of, you know, that they know they're nothing in the eyes of this phantom God. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, they're not above him. But they're also constantly saying, Look at all these good things I did. Mm-hmm. He's a pr- he approves of me. He thinks I'm great because of all the stuff I do. And and even those of us who would hopefully not be just religious, who feel like we're in a true relationship with Christ, I think we can even catch ourselves doing that. Sure. Like getting caught up in the good deeds. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like I was talking about earlier. I mean, it's a temptation that I face because because I'll I will say you know. I don't have this problem or that problem in my church as a pastor because I don't do the things those guys routinely do. And that's a kind of pride. And that's a sort of, you know, holier than thou, sanctimonious sort of thing. And I wish to avoid saying things like that because they, you know, they sound even worse than they feel, you know. And and so I know what I mean when I say it, but I also know that when I say it, other people hear it and it sounds more severe. And so it really isn't helping me put my cause in front of them because I'm putting myself in front of them, you know. So putting Christ in front of them is still the main thing. And, and uh, honestly, you know, when you look at the real saints of history, um, they, they weren't, you know, they just, they weren't modest, Mm-hmm. They weren't trying to be modest. They weren't humble. They were, but they had true humility. Yeah, their true humility simply 
they just, you know, they they weren't disciplining self, themselves to be that way. They just were that way. Well, and Jack says the real, like, the truest test of whether or not you are actually in the presence of God or in the presence of the devil is that you forget yourself entirely. Right. Through what you're doing. Yeah. Because good. he says the test, the best way to test anything you're doing in your religious life is that, you know, if you start to feel good about what you're doing. Yeah. And not because you feel good about doing something for the kingdom. Right. And the kingdom's sake. If you just start feeling good about what you're doing, you can almost guarantee you're not in the presence of God. You're in the presence of the devil. Yeah. Because he just thrives on that. Yeah, that's, and I think those people that are the true saints throughout history had that true humility where they basically forgot themselves. Mm. It was just about the kingdom of God. That's good. That's really good. Well, so how does the devil deceptively use uh, the spiritual vice of pride against the vices of our animal nature? Yeah, I thought this was really interesting because it's basically he talks about how the devil definitely works on us through our animal nature, but pride does not. It is directly from hell. It is a purely spiritual thing, hmm. and he considers it far more deadly because it's directly from hell. And, you know, he talks about, like, um, he gives the example of, like, a teacher telling a boy that, you know, he's so decent and how great he is um, because he's overcoming some of these smaller vices like, you know, anger or mm -hmm. lust. And But because the teacher says, look how great you are, then in turn, pride comes up and the devil's like, perfect. I could have worked with the smaller vices, but this is even better. <laughs> and you, so, so we end up just playing right into it. Um, yeah, I like I like this. It it, it amuses the devil mm -hmm. to watch you become content, mm -hmm. brave, and chaste as he establishes in you a dictatorship of yes. pride. He cures your rash and gives you cancer in yep. return. Yeah, he says pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or common sense. Yeah, which is hmm. huh. yeah. Wow. Ugh. <laughs> Well, that's that should be pretty convicting. It's it's kind of scary. Yeah. So we want to list four misconceptions mm -hmm. about pride that Lewis states should be guarded against. Yeah. He the, so the first one is that it's okay to take pleasure in someone praising you for a job well done. Um. And, and he says it's because you're not taking pleasure in yourself. You're taking pleasure in the fact that you have pleased someone else by what you have done. Yeah. So, like, if somebody came up to us today and said, you guys were so great in the parade. Well, we could take pleasure in that because they're saying you made you gave me joy by doing the parade. And, and the pleasure we get should be... Well, I'm so glad I made you happy by doing that, mm -hmm. you know, but if you're taking pleasure and well, yeah, that's because I'm so great, <laughs> you know, then you got a problem. Yeah. You should be. You're, yeah. You should be impressed. Yeah. Because I'm super awesome. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so, we, we, <laughs> yeah. we saw a lot of crowns and tiaras today, didn't we? And <laughs> Some gigantic ones. I don't know how they were wearing them. And, and I just, I, I don't think that has anything to do with what we're talking about, except they're sort of emblematic of, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like becoming the trout queen of, you know, Exeter County, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, well, hooray so, for you. So he points out that pleasure in being praised is a good thing. The problem comes when you look down on other people so much that you don't care what anybody else thinks. Right. Like, and, and I feel like I've known people like that where like you can give somebody praise or a gentle critique and their immediate reaction is like, just to brush you off and and then go talk to somebody else about, well, I don't know what they're talking about. I know how great that performance was. It was awesome. Like, mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, it just yeah. it just brushes right off of them. And I agree that that's the worst kind of pride. Yeah, I mean, I, it probably sounds a little new agey to put it this way. But, you know, it, it's just like somehow we have to be able to lose ourselves in Christ's glory. Mm-hmm. And then it's just you know his glory and that's really all that it's about you know and uh, it's you know this chapter makes me feel far too uh, uh, inadequate to be the pastor of anybody's church Mm -hmm. I mean you know because it just it's like you know but all I can do is speak truth and love and, and, and then agree with people that I'm working on this one, too. Mm-hmm. You know, that I don't feel any better than any of you. I just feel like I've been given the responsibility of communicating these truths to the best of my ability. And All right, what's the second one? So the second one, I think he's kind of saying that, you know, we hear people say, I'm so proud of my son or daughter. I'm proud of our church for what they've done or our school or my work and and then people will ask well is that sinful to be proud of yeah those people and lewis says that really maybe the better phrasing should be like instead of i'm proud of it should be like gosh i just admire them yeah because that's really what you're saying like like i would say today i admire our church for showing up today yeah and the heat and walking yeah does that mean that I'm proud of how great we are? I hope not. But I think his point is that sometimes people might say, I'm really proud of our church for showing up today. And what it means is I just really admire that people were willing to walk in the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, and, and yeah, he says that's, that's okay because really loving and admiring anything separate from yourself mm-hmm. is a step away from spiritual ruin. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're only loving and admiring yourself, there's no room for love and admiration of God and his creation. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So you just have to, again, be careful that you're not saying, well, I'm so proud of us because we're so great. It's, you know, I admire these other people for stepping up, for doing things. Now, I really like this third one. (laughs) I think this is pretty good. Um you know, I, I'm going to take this one. So, okay. so we must not think that God forbids pride mm-hmm. because he's offended by it or that he demands humility in order to sustain his own dignity. <laughs> this would imply that God himself is proud. Now, I just I love that because, mm-hmm. 
I, I think people really struggle with that. I, I think one of the indicators that I can look for in church people that tells me something about their level of spiritual maturity is, is how they would interpret that very concept. Mm -hmm. You know, to think that God needs or wants anything from us. And I mentioned it again, I said it in the sermon today that, you know, what if God wants us to worship him and to serve him because it's good for us, that it really has nothing to do with God, that, that it's, it's like, you know, I want you to completely surrender your life to me because in doing so, you're gonna have the best life you could have ever imagined mm -hmm. and more. Yeah. And that, that would be God's motivation was to give you the best, you know, Jesus said, I came that you could have life and have it abundantly, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I think people really forget what that means, you know, but it, that's, I like that one a lot. That Well, and I really like how he says, like, the whole point is, like, God wants you to be in such a deep relationship with him that you kind of divest yourself of all the worry about what everybody else thinks of you mm -hmm. and your so-called dignity. Right. And I love that. There's a great song that our Yaw band does sometime where they say, I'll become even more undignified than this. And it's kind of a shout. We all yell when we sing along. And that goes right along with this. I think like the point is to stop worrying about what any other human being thinks what, of you. What is that? There's a John Wesley quote like that. Um, where he basically talks about vulgar religion. <laughs> now, in order to make sense of that, you have to understand that he's this overachiever, highly educated guy f from the Church of England mm -hmm. where any enthusiasm, they would call it, would be considered vulgar. Right. You know, the, the thought that people would raise their hand in the pew and shout hallelujah or amen to the preacher or something is just considered vulgar. And he made some quote that I don't remember precisely that basically said, well, if if that's what this is, then let me be vulgar, you know, because this is a living relationship and it's not a uh, social exercise you know and i just i think yeah you know not to get off point or anything but you know i like to read books in and around the revolutionary war and that's a history topic i really love mm -hmm. and there was one i was reading recently that w like it had something to do with a certain character in history not, not character person in history whose father was a minister mm -hmm. and i think presbyterian maybe um who made some comment in in a letter or something about how you know church was a solemn affair not like what those methodists do yeah and i just laughed because i was like hold on a second the frozen chosen were wild and crazy what happened to us yeah people have no idea how much methodism has changed <laughs> at least in our united methodist i the, the average united methodist church would be in John Wesley's eyes as dead as the Church of England he fought so hard to revive. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. Yeah. And which is is uh, it's sad. You know, yeah. So revival's the goal. Well, what's the last one? So in the last one he talks about um 
like meeting if you were to meet an actual truly humble person you probably wouldn't recognize him as such because what we tend to call and and this is still the case i think even several decades after he wrote this what we tend to call you know so-called humble people are really kind of smarmy people who are always telling you that you know they're nothing that it's about giving and you know talking basically talking up how humble they are Mm -hmm. um and that a truly humble person you wouldn't you wouldn't call him humble you would just think what what a lovely person yeah um because he was focused on you right not on himself um and i feel like i'm lucky i've met people like that and I hope to be a person like that. You know who a perfect example of that is that most of our listeners know, or at least know of? Fred Rogers. Oh my gosh, yes. That was a truly humble person. Mr. Yeah. Rogers. Because he always made it about other people. That man was truly... God, yeah. He was the embodiment of humility. Uh, and his gentle spirit touched so many lives and continues to touch lives because Man, you, you quoted him in the sermon i quoted well, him in you, the sermon you quoted him during prayer time i guess but yeah you're just i mean because he's a perfect example for these things well i think he's yeah you know he's he's a guy that that lives it lived it mm-hmm. he's living it in paradise now where he's probably in charge of something really important because he was humble enough for the duty that's what i'd like to think anyway and then he, Jack ends this chapter by saying he was a Presbyterian clergy person. Did you was. know that? I did know that. Yeah. I I want to hug him when I get to heaven <laughs> for everything he did for me as he a small child. He probably will too. run to meet you. <laughs> yeah, you know, prob- I'll probably be guy. crying. Yeah. <laughs> um. I still remember that day that that he was being honored on some, you know, Emmy type television show and they brought out the now grown up little handicapped boy (laughs) that he had talked to way back when and as soon as they brought him on stage fred rogers leaps onto the stage no no dignity Mm -hmm. no no i don't you know none of this false humility he saw this guy and he was so happy to see him that he just jumped up onto the stage before he could even speak yeah and they're, they're, they're running a program here. They've got everything precisely timed and scripted and cue cards and all this jazz. And Fred Rogers just says, I'm so excited to see you. And he, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and Well, not to take anything away with saints that have actually been, like, canonized, like saints. Oh, yeah. But if ever a person should be a saint but won't be because of sure. their sheer wonderfulness and humility, it's Fred Rogers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there's so, probably some haters out there in the audience. I doubt but you, it, but you know that, what, you know, would probably criticize us it for being that, so devoted to him. It says that if you're going to, if you dislike a truly humble person, it's probably because you're a little envious of how they seem to just be able to enjoy life so easily. Yeah. So, yeah. and so he ends the chapter by saying that if you want to acquire humility, your first step, and it's a big step, is to acknowledge that you are proud. Because if you sit back and say, I'm not conceited, then you're probably very conceited indeed. And I just think, there you go, Jack. Throwing down the gauntlet again at the end of the chapter. <clears throat> so. It's good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Well, I think we've covered that uh, book three, chapter nine, or chapter, chapter eight, eight, rather, pretty mm-hmm. well. Um, 
next episode we're going to tackle charity in chapter nine Mm -hmm. and uh, just want to thank everybody for listening you humble us because you actually find this of value and you listen to us um if you want to talk to us if you want to reach out to us you know you can find us at church in jasper indiana mm-hmm. just ask you know just drive into jasper and <clears throat> knock on the door of the first business you find and say where's shiloh united methodist <laughs> church and they'll probably say i don't know isn't that the one out there by bush cutters <laughs> and right. they'd be right <laughs> you know um but uh you know just just Give us a give us a visit sometime if you're not a regular part of the church already, and if you are, well, we're honored that you do this with us too, and mm-hmm. we enjoy your questions and comments that are asked in person. But feel free to join that Facebook group and and join that conversation. We always uh, value what we read there and share. And uh, of course, you can write to us. You can learn anything you want to know about Shiloh. You can get our Shiloh app. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot going on at Shiloh these days. A lot. And um, so, you know, start by going to uh, shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G. And uh, check us out there and then make your way to some of the other resources. We'll be glad to see you. But I guess for now, we'll just say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't (laughs) Won't you you be be my my neighbor? neighbor?